Scripture reading, begin by reading the first verses of Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. We'll read the first 11 verses of Acts chapter 1 and then turn to 1 Thessalonians 1. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion, that is, after his sufferings, by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, Wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. And, and we turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. reading that, I'm just going to read a couple of things that are mentioned, the last two verses, uh, or last three verses of Luke. Luke wrote, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote both Luke and Acts, and the end of the book of Luke also speaks of the ascension. 
So Luke wrote about it at the end of the book of Luke, and then he wrote about it at the beginning of the book of Acts. And at the end of the book of Luke, he adds some statements about what happened right after, after the ascension. He also says that it came to pass while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. Now we read the first chapter of 1 Thessalonians. And the text is found in the last uh, part of verse 9 and, and in verse 10. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto, and that's Silas and Timothy, unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. For ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake, and ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God where it is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything for they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead even Jesus which delivered us from the wrath to come. So far we read from inspired scripture tonight. And the text, as was mentioned, is in the last part of verse 9 and in verse 10. How ye turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Dearly beloved, in the Lord Jesus Christ, the 
see how this passage here is related to the subject of the ascension and that it speaks about Christ's coming back. And that was mentioned when right after Christ ascended. That the disciples are told that he's going to come back. Just as he went, he's going to come back. And here we read about these Thessalonians that were waiting for him to come. Where was he going to come from? He was going to come from heaven. So they had heard about Christ. They had heard about him, him suffering and dying. And his, his perfect sacrifice. That he laid down his life for his sheep. They heard about his resurrection. They heard about his ascension. By the grace of God, they turned from idols to the living and true God. They believed the gospel. They were waiting for Christ to come from heaven. So they believed he really would. He was going to come from heaven. And the one who was coming was their Savior, Jesus, who had delivered them from the wrath to come. So we see how this subject is related to the subject of the ascension. There's also instruction here with regard to the, the work of missions, and the work of missions is also related to the subject of the ascension. For Jesus gave instruction about the going forth and bringing the word to the nations. And then he ascends. And he had told them to wait in Jerusalem, and the spirit was going to be poured out, and then they were to go forth and bring the word, the gospel of truth, to the nations. And there were going to be those from the different nations gathered together. One body of Christ, one people of God. God was going to save a people out of all the nations. Well, to learn about missions, we obviously look to the scriptures to learn about missions. We look at the book of Acts, certainly. Obviously, we're going to thoroughly study the book of Acts to learn about the subject of missions. We're going to study the book of Acts also in connection with the epistles that were written. And this thought to be one of the first, if not the very first epistle of Paul that was written to uh, the group of the saints in Thessalonica. A church was, was formed there and established Paul visited there during his second missionary journey. His first missionary journey was with Barnabas. Second one, he went out with Silas. This letter is said to come from Paul and Silas and Timothy. And during his second missionary journey, he was there. And he, and he gave instruction. Three Sabbath days in the synagogue. Then there seems to be indication he may have stayed there longer than that for a time, but eventually there was persecution and he, and he left. And he writes, a, he writes a letter to them. And there's instruction here about the work of, of missions, about what did Paul, what did he preach? What did he preach on the mission field? What did he teach them when he went to Thessalonica? And you see the, the fruit, you see the positive fruit. Of course, it was the case that there was, it wasn't that the case that it was, 
that there was no opposition. If Paul went out and preached the gospel, you, we see that there were those that by the grace of God believed and that there were those that were very much opposed and persecuted. Paul was strengthened by the Spirit and kept going. But we look at this also from the viewpoint of what Paul preached and how he spoke about the essentials. Tonight we look specifically at the fact that he obviously spoke about the essentials. The Thessalonians now were waiting for the sun to come from, from heaven. In short, he preached about God. What did he preach about? He preached about God. The true and living God. They turned from idols to the true and living God. He preached about God. So we often talk about theocentric, God-centric. He preached about Christ. He spoke of his return. He spoke of the coming wrath. He spoke of Christ coming back. He spoke about the coming wrath. He spoke about Christ who has delivered us from the coming wrath judgment that's going to come upon those that reject him, that reject the Christ. He spoke, he preached the promise, and he gave the command, turn, turn from idols to the true and living God. And by the grace of God, some did. Some did. And they were waiting for the sun from heaven. And now we apply this, of course, to our own life. And we're going to look at this from the point of view both of the past, what's happened to us in the past, what we're expecting in the future, and then what we're doing right now. So instead of going past, present, future, let us first talk about the past and how this passage speaks about we turn, it says, you turn to God from idols. Well, we look at how God has worked in us to turn from sin. Our calling to constantly turn from sin, and that there's a, it's also the case that there's an ongoing turning from sin to God. But we're looking at what God has done within us, as is referred to in this text. By the grace of God, ye turn. We look at that in the first place. So that's kind of looking at it from the past, but also talking about how there's an ongoing aspect to it. Then looking at it from the viewpoint of what this text says about what we're expecting in the future. Waiting for the sun from heaven has the idea that we are confident he's coming back. We have no doubt that he's coming back. We have no doubt that he ascended. We have no doubt of what we just confessed, that of his kingdom there's no end. We're not expecting some kind of carnal kingdom in the future. What we're waiting for is not some kind of a carnal kingdom before the final judgment. We're waiting for Christ to come from heaven. And we're comforted knowing that the one who's coming has delivered us from the wrath to come. There's wrath to come. We're comforted knowing the one who's coming has delivered us from the wrath. So in the second place, we look at it from the viewpoint of what we're expecting in the future. Because God has told us. And we're waiting. And in the third place, we bring out how waiting, well, what are we doing while we're waiting? 
we're waiting. We're serving. Turn to God from idols to serve. And in our, all of our life, in every aspect of it, it's to be the case that we are to be showing forth that we serve the living God who has worked in us favor, who has saved us by his grace. So we consider this passage under the theme, Waiting for God's Son from Heaven. We consider, first of all, the genuine turning. Secondly, the patient waiting. And thirdly, the joyful, the joyful service. First of all, relatively briefly, some points about what Paul undoubtedly was preaching about is indicated by what happened. First of all, we read there's instruction here about preaching about God. The true and the living God. They turn to the true and living God. Now that indicates he obviously was talking about how there's one true God. True meaning over against fictitious. Real. There, really, there is only one real God. The idols are not God. There's only one true God. He's the living God. He has fellowship within himself. There's three persons. One God. There's fellowship within God. He's the source of life. He gives us life. We have fellowship with God. And of course we know that John 17 verse 3 says that this is everlasting life to know God. And Jesus Christ whom he has sent. It's important for us to know that not only as like a proof text, or we often cite that as a proof text, but also for us to Meditate on that. God has given us everlasting life. What does that mean? I know God. I have fellowship with God, the true God, the living God. I really do. And I, fellow, I have fellowship with his son, with Jesus Christ. And it will go on forever. He obviously preached about God. He speaks about Christ, the Son of God. He speaks here about God and speaks about the, the Son of God. They turn to the true and living God and they're waiting for his Son. So obviously he explained the truth of the Trinity. Well, you said there's one God just a minute ago, and now you're talking about God's Son and you say he's God. Well, how is that? I, th I thought you said there was one God. Now you're talking about a second God. No, there's, he's not a, there's not two gods. Well, how is that? Well, there's three persons. There's one divine being, one single essence. So certainly talking about the truth of the Trinity. And that that's a fundamental doctrine. It's clear from the fact that they were commanded to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What does that mean? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And well, to explain that. 
And then to explain, oh, so you say Jesus is God. Did he just appear to be a man? No, he's a real man. Two natures, one person. Thy nature and human nature are one divine person, second person of the Trinity. And then going through subjects that are set forth in the Apostles' Creed. And also we, we read of how the same similar, there are similar statements in the Nicene Creed. That was later. The Apostles' Creed has been used for centuries, long before the Reformation. The Apostles' Creed was used to teach a summary of what we believe. What do you say on the mission field? What do you teach people when you, if you were to go, say, to the heathen? That document has been used. Teaching it phrase by phrase has a long history that was then followed also when the Heidelberg Catechism was put together. Heidelberg Catechism put together, how are we going to teach the fundamental doctrines? We'll go through the Apostles' Creed phrase by phrase and explain it. And how it's similar to what we read that Paul did. That these fundamental ideas. We read in Acts 17 verse 3. That he opened and alleged that Christ must needs have suffered. So he explained that Christ must suffer. As he went into the synagogue and spoke about the Christ. He said, now the Christ is going to have to suffer. The Savior is going to suffer for our sins. Talking then about what we deserve. Talking about the sinfulness of man and what we deserve. and Why Christ must suffer and rise again from the dead. This is in Acts 17, where we read about what he said, what Paul said when he was in Thessalonica. For three Sabbath days, he went in and he was opening a legend that Christ must needs have suffered. And risen again, he spoke about the, about the fact that he would rise from the dead and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. He spoke of the death and the resurrection of Christ. Of course, when the Apostles' Creed was put together, there was brought up also specifically suffering under Pontius Pilate, his death, burial, the phrase talking to the ascension into hell that we explained to be referring to the hellish agonies into which he was plunged. And then we talk about his resurrection and his ascension. So we speak about these things and what they mean. What, what happened? You'd have to explain, what do you mean he was raised from the dead? And then you read in the Bible of other resurrections, well, there was a difference between the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of, say, Lazarus, who returned to this life. Well, how was Christ's resurrection different? But then also, what did it mean? And one point specifically, that if Christ is our head and he was raised, it's certain we will be raised from the dead. Already by his power, we've been raised to a new life. And it's certain that our bodies will be will be raised. Well, then also he would have spoken about his ascension. What it, first of all, what does that mean? 
how would you summarize like what we have in our Heidelberg Catechism real briefly? What are the fundamental points? Well, heaven is a real place. Ascends into heaven. Is that a real place? Yes. What does it mean that he ascends? Well, we're talking about him from the viewpoint of his human nature. We often get that confused. From the viewpoint of his divine nature, of course, he's omnipresent. But from the viewpoint of his human nature, he's not here. <coughs> but in heaven. His divine nature is beyond the limits of the human nature, he assumes. His human nature is finite. The divine nature is beyond the limits. And yet it's in the human nature and, and personally united. The two natures united in the one person. But then also, well, how, does, how do you and I benefit from that? Jesus spoke about that before he died. He was explaining to the disciples how were they going to benefit if he left. He talked about sending his spirit and that by the spirit they would seek things above. The spirit would work within them and by the power of the spirit they would seek things above. The spirit would dwell within them. He would ascend into heaven He'd pour out the spirit and his spirit, the spirit of Christ would dwell within his people and would work in them that they would seek heavenly things as is seen here. They're waiting for the sun. They're thinking on heavenly things. And the fact that our head is in heaven, we're sure he's going to take us up to be with him. And right now, of course, he's interceding for us. He loves us. He has power and majesty. And he will certainly be heard as he speaks to, God, to the Father. That he intercedes for us means he speaks to the Father for us. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. Well, so are, those are some of summary of some of the things that Paul preached. And he exhorted them to turn. So he spoke on these fundamental doctrines and he called them to turn from sin. And how important it is that people be called to turn from their sin to God. Turn from idolatry. What is idolatry? Well, our Heidelberg Catechism explains that. To contrive or have any other object besides God in which we place our trust. The Bible speaks of those trusting in their wealth, trusting in their weapons, for example. Many imagine a God that's not going to punish sin. They continue on walking in a sin. And they won't turn from it. And they're going to imagine that the, if, there, if there is a God, the God, their God won't punish sin. Well, that's not the true God. The true God does punish sin. And there's a calling of people to turn Turn from sin, the judgment on those who refuse 
Paul at Lystra called them, turn from these vanities unto the living God. And there's the phrase, the living God again. He said, turn from these vanities unto the living God. There's the preaching of the promise and the command to repent and believe. That's what we're to be proclaiming, and that's what Paul did as he went forth. Turn. And that turning is a turning from sin to God. Not merely an outward stopping of certain activities. You may have an you might have a, a Buddhist that gets drunk all the time that all of a sudden just decides, sees what's happening in his life and decides he's not going to drink alcohol anymore. But he's not turning to God. He's just decided, I'm not going to even, I'm not going to even touch this stuff anymore. That's not, that's not a turning from sin to God. This is talking about a real inward turning away from sin to God in sorrowing for sin asking God for forgiveness coming to the one who will forgive he says if a man confesses his sins he is faithful and just to forgive him and to cleanse him from all unrighteousness Coming to the one who does forgive those who come to him in sorrow and ask for forgiveness. And he does grant grace to deliver from sin. And certainly preaching that that is the case. That's what God has said. Turn. And he works in his people by the grace of God turn and those who confess their sins God comforts them with the truth that they're forgiven this is an on, it's also an ongoing this is an ongoing turning every believer knows that it may be the case that we can point to a certain period in our life when there was quite a change in our life concerning what we were doing before and what we were doing afterwards. And we look back at that time and see what God did in our life and how different it was afterwards. Especially, let's say, somebody that wasn't raised where the truth was preached and hears the gospel, turns from the wicked life they were living, like the Thessalonians, many of whom have thought that they were Gentiles, turning from idols. But of course, there's many of God's people that their whole life they've been the case that they've been raised where the truth was preached. And from the earliest days, they had fellowship with God and communed with him. And yet, recognizing too that our whole life is one of a constant turning not just an, the, the, an initial turning, but it's a, the case that there's an ongoing turning that goes on. If we 
if when we fall into sin, we feel guilty and we're ashamed. We know, we know we still, that God's our Father. We know he loves us. We know Christ has died for us. Yet how miserable we feel as long as it is the case that we're not turning to God. We know what we've done is displeasing to God. Every believer knows that. We do something we know that wasn't pleasing to God. And in sorrow we go to God and ask for forgiveness. And he, and he comforts us again. It's an ongoing, throughout our life, turning away from sin to the true God. Repentance and faith, and faith are gifts. And when we talk about the truth that Salvation is of grace alone. How important it is to bring that out. Faith is completely a gift. Not only the will to believe, but the believing itself. He infuses faith into us. It's completely a gift. Repentance is a gift. And the saints knew that. In Acts 11, we read that they said, God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. When they hear of Gentiles repenting, they praise God. God granted these Gentiles repentance unto life. It's a gift. And those who have, in whom the Spirit dwells, and who works from in them to the turn away from sin to God, then as far as going forward, Wait. What are we waiting for? We're waiting for God's Son. Where is He going to come? From heaven? Can you imagine somebody talking to you personally who knew almost nothing about what Scripture teaches? And then wanted to know, recognize that you're one that thinks on spiritual things. And then they come up to you and they want to know what does God say is going to happen in the Bible? What does he say is going to happen? And then you explain, well, that Christ is going to come back. Does the Bible really say that? Yes. Come back from heaven. He ascended. Certainly that would bring up the subject of the ascension. He ascended into heaven. And he's going to come back. He's going to. And there's going to be the bodily resurrection. Now you see how that's related to how it says... You're waiting, we're waiting for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. We're waiting for the son to come from heaven, whom he raised. Well, the fact that the one whom we're waiting for was raised, the fact that he was raised, it's certain we're going to be raised. And what's going to happen when he comes back? There's going to be the bodily resurrection. 
He's going to come back. The dead in Christ are going to rise first. We who are alive and remain until that moment that he returns will be caught up together with them and meet the Lord in the air. That's brought out later in 1 Thessalonians. The beginning part of 1 Thessalonians, and this is interesting to note, in the beginning of the letter that you, you're probably familiar with the fact that at the beginning of Paul's letter, he often starts thanking God for the saints there. We give thanks to God always for you and mentions a number of things. In that section where he's giving thanks to God, he often mentions things that he's going to talk about more later. And he's mentioning things here about the sun coming from heaven. He's going to talk about that more. Chapter 4, chapter 5. He's going to speak more about that. When Christ comes, when the sun comes, he's going to raise, raise the dead. And we're waiting for that bodily resurrection, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our bodies. That's Romans 8.23. We are waiting. We ourselves groan within ourselves. We're waiting for the adoption to wit the, to wit the redemption of our body. And then we'd also say, wrath is coming. Christ is coming. The Son of God is coming. Wrath is coming. So the Bible speaks about delivering us from the wrath to come. It mentions the coming of the Son. And it mentions the coming of wrath. God's wrath is coming now. It will intensify. We talk about how we see the signs of coming even now. If we were talking about what's going to happen in the future, we could talk about what we see, what, what's happening right now. We see the signs of his coming. We see the abounding lawlessness, the abounding sexual sins and homosexual sins. Now, although that was a sin also seen in the past to a certain degree, how much more it's happening now, how much more it's being promoted. And there's a desire to silence anyone who would speak against it. They're really pointing to what God has, it's a sign of the coming of Christ. God's wrath is going to come in all of its fullness against those who don't turn from sin. Even if they're sitting where the truth is preached week after week and they can say, I was right there. I didn't miss a Sunday. I was right there where the truth was preached. But when they're not turning from their sin in the sense that they're impenitently continuing on in it, 
there's judgment upon those who do not sincerely repent. As our creeds say when it talks about the keys of the kingdom. They speak about the coming wrath. How do you connect that with the coming of the Lamb? The Bible elsewhere speaks of the wrath of the Lamb. The wrath of the Lamb. Familiar with that one? Revelation 6, it speaks about how there will be those that will say to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us. This is what they'll say. Hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. The wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come. And who shall be able to stand? The wrath has come. The one we're waiting for has delivered us from the wrath to come. What a comfort that is. We're not to fear. You and I are not to fear as we think about what's going to happen. Because we know Christ has delivered us from the wrath to come. He has offered the perfect sacrifice. There's, he has reconciled us to God. There's once for all, one perfect sacrifice. He satisfied. And we are comforted knowing that the one who's coming is the one who died for us. The one who's going to be the judge is the one who died for us. The one who's delivered us from the wrath to come. That's who we're waiting for. And that was a comfort to the Thessalonians who were persecuted. In Acts 17, we read about how they were persecuted. And in 2 Thessalonians as well. There's reference to how they were persecuted. There's reference in 1 and 2 Thessalonians to how the saints were persecuted. how they were waiting for Christ to come. And Christ spoke, or in 2 Thessalonians, there's a reference to Christ coming back and the comfort that that is for his persecuted saints. This is 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel. They don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction. So he speaks about that, the coming wrath, but also says it's a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you, and to you who are troubled, rest with us. Rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven, the one who delivered us from the wrath to come. The one who's believing what God says, who is 
waiting. He's not going to be setting his mind on things on this earth. Having his mind on things below. You know, we say that by the power of the Spirit, we seek things above and not things on this earth. That's quite the statement that we make in the Heidelberg Catechism. Because we recognize we, got, we all have a carnal nature, a sinful nature. So that we see that we do have a desire for more and more things and to be easily not satisfied with what we have, other have more, and we want to have more of this and more of that and more pleasures. And we can enjoy things, we can have things. We recognize everything that we have and that we do is to be, everything we have is to be used in God's service. And our mind is always to be on things above. We're to be seeking. What are we seeking? Seeking things above. Like one who is expecting, longing for Christ to come back. Like a woman that would long for her husband to come back when he's been gone, whom she loves, who's been gone for a long time. And she's long, she keeps thinking about him coming back. And as she goes through the day, she keeps remembering he's going to come back and she's looking forward to his return. Of course, in our relationships, one never knows if one's husband is going to die. But when we talk about our relationship with Christ, we have absolute certainty he's going to come going to come back and we do know that all of us as believers will be together forever we're expecting we're longing and it shows it in our speech well how does it manifest itself what we talk about you see when we look at the Thessalonians what they turned to the living God and were waiting for his son how did that show it in their life they talked about what they believed in so much, their word was echoing forth and people in other regions were hearing about what they believed. They received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, that's verse six. And they were examples. They were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia and other regions. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad. That's amazing. That's the work of the Spirit within them. It showed itself in what they talked about. It showed what was important to them. Certainly it shows itself in our prayers. shows itself in our submission. That we're, we're so happy, we're so thankful for our salvation, we're looking for Christ to come, the ones who are waiting for him to come back. Now looking at it from the viewpoint of what we're doing now, we're serving him.
turn, turning to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait. So turning from God, from idols to, to serve. To serve. Now that does that means waiting doesn't mean being inactive. So we're waiting for Christ to come. Waiting doesn't mean inactivity. Inactivity actually was a problem in First and Second Thessalonians. Lord willing, if I have an opportunity to come back here sometime, maybe I can, that may be a subject to, to, to speak on. That, that that was, it certainly relates to the subject of missions. One of the problems that you're going to run across is that when you look at First and Second Thessalonians, what problem did he run in in Thessalonica? What were some doing? Here he's speaking about how they turned and how they echoed the word of the Lord and all. Well, there were those there was a problem with some who weren't working. And he exhorted them about that when he was there. And he said that if somebody is not working, they shouldn't eat. He speaks about it in 1 Thessalonians. And in 2 Thessalonians, they still were not turning. And he starts using some strong language in 2 Thessalonians 3, where he specifically brings that up. Talks about people withdrawing from those that are walking disorderly and not after the tradition and so on. Waiting, we're active. We have work to do during the day and we're to be busy in the workplace. If, our, if we go outside the home in the workplace during the day or if we're at school, we're busy in our school work or when school gets out for the summer, we're busy doing what the Lord would have us do in the summer months. Wife and mother busy in the home doing the work that the Lord has given her to do, cheerfully laboring in God's service. Each one of us has a station, a calling. Things can change at different stages of our life, too. We have work to do. And we, what we do, you know, all that we do, we're doing it in the ser as one who serves God. Longing to see him. We're serving him. And that word of service has the idea of being like a slave. The Bible uses that language. But when you think of being a slave, not in the sense of forced service, but in the sense of total belonging. You think, well, a slave, a slave that somebody owns him. Does somebody own you? Is that a comfort? To know that you belong to someone else? You say that is a comfort. In fact, that's the only comfort. And, and not only in death, but in life. I'm not my own. I belong to my Savior. I serve Him. 
It's not, I'm free to do my own thing. Everyone being selfish, as we live in a time where there is so much selfishness. Lovers of their own selves, just as God said it would be. We're loving the one whom we're waiting for. Loving him. Waiting for him. Confessing, I'm not my own. I belong to him. You know, the end of that article about our comfort in life and death speaks about, it, it ends by saying this, that by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me sincerely willing and ready henceforth to live unto him. That's the idea of serving him, living unto him. And the Spirit works, makes me sincerely willing and ready henceforth to live unto Him. And that's our desire in our worship as we gather for worship together. And as we worship in our home, we want to do so with our mind on the things above, seeking to glorify our God. devoting our life as we go to work wherever we're laboring in the home or outside of the home that we do our work cheerfully, we do our work diligently, we do our work with joy it's like we read at the end of verse Luke 24 how they returned to Jerusalem with great joy Christ has ascended, your redeemer has ascended He's given us work to do, and we're to go about that work with joy and gladness in our souls. May we magnify his name. May our children see that our mind is on things above. Certainly we desire our children to see that. That moms, dads, their minds are on things above. And they love to talk about that. And as they grow older, they more start entering into those discussions. And then we together talk about now we've got we've got a call. And we need to be busy in the work, each one of us. We've got different work to do, and we work together as friends. Waiting for the Son of God from heaven, laboring in his service. May we encourage one another, show our esteem of one another, and honor his name as we wait for our Lord from heaven. Amen. Let us pray. Our Lord, our God, O Lord, our Father, we're very thankful, Lord, for thy grace, thankful for thy mercy, O Lord, that thou hast shown to us so thankful we know that thou dost care for us, the love thou hast shown us. We are so thankful that we know that our king, that our king reigns, and that he dwells within us by the Spirit. No, we have sinful desires. We ask for forgiveness, O Lord. 
We are thankful, too, that it is really the case that thou dost work in us by the Spirit to make us willing to live unto thee. Strengthen us to turn away, constantly to turn away from sin unto thee. Have our mind on things above to talk about what thou hast promised us, to echo forth that word of God, and to work together as we labor in thy service. Grant this grace to us and our children. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.